This is Original Six. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Original Six Podcast. As always, Ryan Savine, joined by Paul Ananitis and Zach Mullen. And uh, we have a very special guest joining us today. He's played for seven different NHL teams, including the Chicago Blackhawks, Toronto Maple Leafs, Calgary Flames. He is a two-time Stanley Cup champion, played over 600 NHL games, and he holds an unofficial record for being the only player to score an NHL goal at the United Center, Wrigley Field, and Soldier Field. Please help us welcome none other than Chris Versteeg. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. We're forgetting about Allstate as well. Oh, there you go. Yeah, oh, yeah. We'll add oh, that so he knew about record. it. All right, cool. Yeah, nice. We uh, we weren't Thanks for uh, having you guys. No, thank you for coming on. We weren't sure if uh, you knew about your unofficial record there. No, I I knew about it, but uh, it's uh, one that I always tend to add Allstate on as well because scoring goals against the Chicago Wolves in those days wasn't easy because generally you had to lose a limb to score a goal. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty funny. Determination. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So uh, so I mean, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I know uh, the three of us are uh, big fans of yours. When uh, when you were around, especially in your Chicago days and your time with the Leafs, you know, the three of us were were yeah. That was kind of around when we were starting just to get into hockey and really starting to like become proper fans and and remember games, which is a uh, a big turning point for us. But uh, how have you been? Uh, how's everything uh, going with you? Good. Just um, different since retired. I have uh, a startup company I'm involved in. I'm the CEO of, and so been really busy with that. I have my kids. They're now starting hockey. They're six and five, and their hockey season's just started. So I'm helping run the uh, under seven program for that, and uh, just various things here and there. But uh, overall, trying to stay busy and just ready for a different life now. You know. Yeah. I hear you. Staying busy is good nowadays. It is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's not easier easy. said than done. It is. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I feel like a good place to start us off. I mean, uh, as my, my shirt would suggest, pretty well known for your time in Chicago. Um, two stints there, two Stanley Cups. What was it like to be, you know, just like, what was your experience like in Chicago winning those Cups and, and the team that was there? Yeah, they're both very different for me, but uh, there's truly nothing like 2010 for myself just the group of guys we started together in the minors uh, we're all friends there and then all of a sudden they had Kane and Taze come up we kind of met all for our first year in the NHL whether it was Buff, Boland, myself, Brower you can kind of go down the list of all the guys uh, Siebes I played with in junior so he had already been there for a couple of years but it was this group that was really close we hung together out uh, off the ice all the time together and then on the ice we competed like hell and we all wanted to be better than each other which was um, which was great I think it's why we it made e ourselves as good as we were in practice we competed against each other I know when I was in the lineup I always wanted to play more minutes than Patrick Sharp or more or minutes than Buff even though maybe I didn't deserve it but that's just was my mindset and I know that was their mindset as well is let's let's be better than each other and if we're better than each other, then we damn well will be better than the other team. Um, but we're all confident in ourselves. I don't think any group can handle that type of pressure. I think generally the teams that are the best can, they're, they're okay, you know, if their friend plays better than them or if he's getting more ice and he's doing better. 
our team was really strong mentally. And I think that's why we ended up being, I, I would say probably the best team of the last decade. Yeah. I mean, uh, I can tell you it was a great season to watch. That was, yeah. that was incredible. And I know at least for, for Paul and I, uh, he's gonna gonna talk about this later, but the the Hawks are always kind of like a second team to us, so that was great. Yeah, that was it was a good time, but and then 2015 was great too. I came back. I had a lot of injuries though that year and a lot of issues uh, um, with my. I came off ACL prior year, um, and then I broke my hand going in the playoffs or right about two months before the playoffs or three months. So I didn't play particularly well in the 2015 Cup, but being able to get in for all the, or for five of the six games in the Stanley cup finals and helping set up the game winner and game five, it kind of made me feel I was a part of it. I don't think if I played those five games, I wouldn't have felt a part of it at all. Um, but it was, it was just a different feeling. I was still really happy to win and excited, but the 2010 one, I was, you know, a much bigger part of the team. Uh, and it was just, we were young and, and having so much fun. For sure. And I, I did want to mention uh, out of the guests we've had on the podcast, you are the first Stanley Cup champion to join oh, us. So if you want right. to add that to the resume, by all means. Um, <laughs> anyway, I feel like we have to ask you, you know, speaking of these kind of honors, we mentioned um, all the different stadiums you scored in. Can you tell us a bit about uh, the name spelling on the Stanley Cup back in 2010? Yeah, it was. So I'd actually got traded to Toronto at that time. And Mike Bolt called me and he lives kind of near downtown and He's like, man, uh, we spelt your name wrong on the Stanley Cup. Like, what do you mean? And he's like, it's spelled Bertsieg. And so he's like, do we? Do you want us to change it? I'm like, yeah, like you <laughs> spelled my name wrong. Like you, you have to change it. So uh, there is actually a picture of me and my wife were actually with the Stanley Cup when it was spelled wrong. I don't know where that picture is, but uh about a month or two later it was sent back and they kind of punched over my name so if you actually look at my name on 2010 it's a little bit uh, thicker than the rest of the names just because they had to redo the last name but yeah my I mean I, I'd be pissed if I was my you know Oma or my you know family and your name's spelt wrong and they leave it there it's you know you yeah. worked really hard for it so just make sure it's spelt right yeah at least now it's, it's smoothed over it's kind of a funny story to look back at yeah, it's great. No, it ended up being a great story, but I was like, you better change it. I don't, you know. <laughs> so uh, as we were saying before, uh, Ryan and I always had a second favorite team and a lot of Maple Leafs fans for a while had a second favorite team to cheer for when they missed the playoffs. And for us, it was Chicago. And uh, we just wanted to, you were such a big part of the team and you got to play with guys like Kane, Taves, Keith, Seabrook, Hosa, Sharp. And as you said, the list goes on. Uh, we just wanted to know what it was like playing with those guys and what stood out for you about those players the most. Yeah, just their everyday commitment to the game. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, especially Patrick Kane, everyone thought he was just the fun loving one, but this guy, he was always the first on the ice. He was always working on his game off the, or after the practice. So he's generally on the ice probably 20, 30 minutes longer than everyone else. And in the summertime, I remember I'd call him sometimes after we just went on a playoff run, it'd be like mid June or end of June, mid July. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just heading to the ice rink right now. And, you know, I'm like, it's summertime. What are you doing? You know? And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I haven't looked at my bag for four weeks now. You know, it's, it was just an all around dedication to the game. It's why he is who he is. Uh, and he loves playing it more than anyone I've ever played hockey with. He truly loves the game of hockey. So that was about Patrick, Jonathan Taze, just his, pure dog determination to be the best and um, willing to do whatever it takes during a playoff round to get your team passed. You know, it was, 
every team that ever played against Jonathan Taze, even when he was on the the bad Hawk teams in the playoffs, they were still a hard out just because of, he was willing not to go away. And then Marion Hosa, I think he'd be a player. I think every, you know, parent with a kid who seriously takes hockey serious um, should watch Marion Hosa, just watch his shifts. I know kids like to just watch highlight reels nowadays, but there's other intangibles of the game that get you to the NHL much more than goals and assists. And Marion Hosa brought that every night. If you watch this guy back check and pick pockets and do things, it's much what Datsuk did as well. That's why they were as good as they were. Those guys away from the puck, get the puck back from anybody better than anybody. Um, and that's, those are the guys young kids should watch. So as you mentioned before, uh, after your first cup of Chicago, you got traded to Toronto and uh, we know you only spent one season there, but this is a Leafs podcast. So we wanted to ask you what it was like playing for the blue and white. I thought you were going to ask me, what was it like having your Jersey sold for like 75% off after <laughs> you got dealt? Um, Did they yeah, write uh, Vertzig on the Jersey? Yeah, then? And then you spelt my name wrong. No, I, I love Toronto. It was a great experience. Uh, we, when I got brought in, obviously I got to meet, you know, characters like Brian Burke and these guys that are, you know, really big, big characters you know I was like never met him but you always seen him on tv and you seen the things he would say and then you get to know him and you're like wow he's actually just a he's just a great guy great guy to talk with great guy to be around so it was really neat to be meet Brian I played with Phil Kessel a little bit in the minors and he was in Boston when I was there so um, the transition there was relatively easy and then playing it just sucked because we weren't the best team we weren't actually that far out of the playoffs that year uh, when I got dealt, but we weren't going to make it. We all kind of knew that too. We just, we didn't have the depth, um, especially these other teams had, but overall just coming to play at Air Canada Center. I remember parking my car and the walk into the room pretty vividly. I remember my pregame meals there. We'd eat at the rink. Uh, unbelievable rosé sauce and pasta. Still the best maybe I've ever had. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a super cool experience. Uh, I, I, did not want to get traded and I did not want to go to Philly at all. I, I was just starting to find my groove in Toronto. Um, I was playing, starting to play, I thought pretty well. Uh, and that was something I understood why I ended up leaving. You know, they, they basically, they gave up a lot of first rounders and they needed to get some back. And there's only certain players who you could get first rounders for between probably Caberlet and myself. And, we weren't in the playoffs and we were supposed to be. So I understood the reason for leaving. Um, but back to Brian Burke, he brought me back in when I went to Calgary. So it was really good to come full circle with him. But yeah, overall in Toronto, I, I liked it. It was a great, great experience. And I mean, heck, it's the Mecca hockey, right? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Phil Kessel. It was actually like, I totally remember when I was younger. And like Kessel's jersey was like, every five feet you walked in the city, you saw a Kessel jersey. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, what was it like playing, playing with him when you came back to Toronto or you came to Toronto? It was great. Uh, just, just, I remember being on the bike with him in Boston when we were 18, he was 18 and I was 19 years old. Uh, and he was, he was in fat camp and uh, <laughs> basically, yeah. So he would have to ride the bike every day and be like, ah, stinger, this is terrible, you know, like, <laughs> And then, uh, and he, he was kind of in it. Cause I, I kind of ratted on him, I guess what happened was we went out the night before 
And uh, they told me not to let Phil eat like crap. And he ended up eating basically a deep fried bowl of seafood. And I was like, they're like, how'd Phil eat? I'm like, well, he ate like shit, you know? And so the next day he's on the bike, but I still remember being on the bike with him, just sharing laughs and being like, this guy is one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life. And uh, then he had testis- he had can- cancer and then he needed to come play with us in the minors that year. So he came and played with us. It was me, Phil Kessel and David Crutchley on a line for three games in the minors. Might've been the easiest goals I've ever scored in my life. <laughs> Um, but it was, uh, it, you know, got to play with him there again and just experience Phil. And then, you know, coming into Toronto, just seeing, you know, him being one of the first guys to text me and welcome me and finally being able to be NHL teammates. Um, and we we're roommates as well. So we we're roommates. So just, a just an incredible guy, such a good person, huge heart, uh, funny as hell. And, uh, I mean, it's all true about him. He is truly one of the best. That's really cool to hear and pretty yeah. funny. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, speaking of teammates, uh, last year or in our last season, we actually had Matt Stajan come on the podcast. Oh, yeah. He was Stajan for two seasons. Uh, what could you tell us about him? Stage is not afraid to get his point across, you know, and give his opinion. And that's why I think I love Matt Stajan. It's just, you know, he's honest. He's, um, he just says it how it is when he sees an issue or he sees an opportunity to speak, he's going to say it. And not only that, he's a heck of a player. He was a really smart player kind of at the end of his career when I was with him. So he kind of sunk into that fourth line role. Uh, He knew his role each and every day. He was one of those fourth liners that, you know, he wasn't a fourth liner in his career. He's generally a second, third liner, but in Calgary, he was always on the bench talking. And when I saw fourth line guys in the NHL that were just sitting there, not saying anything, it would, it would piss me off kind of, you know, like this guy's played 12, 13 years. He's playing on the fourth line and he's yelling, he's keeping guys up. He's keeping the energy up. He's talking. And if I was ever a coach in the NHL, I would tell my fourth line, if you don't shut up all game, you're not going to play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what stage did. He, and he had the, he had the, you know, he had the background and resume to back up with what he was saying. You don't necessarily have to call guys out, but just the, his energy was infectious. And I think that's why that 2016, 17 team, we did so well, obviously we got uh, beat in the playoffs. Um, we played really well, but we got beat in the playoffs, but I thought that was just such a really close net uh, team. Good group of guys because of guys like Matt stage. And he, again, call anyone out in the room if there was a problem, keep guys up on the bench and, and still he could play at a high level. Yeah, the experience definitely makes a difference, especially for the younger players, I can imagine. Just yeah, to... you could see it in Toronto too, right? With the Leafs, like there's, mm-hmm. they, they bring in a guy like Spezza and you can see in the playoffs, like two years in a row, he's their best player. I don't know why they don't play him more. <laughs> Free Spezza, it pisses yeah. me off. Like it, like a joke, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But you can see like, he rubs off on guys. Now he should be rewarded by Keith, but that's same with Matt stage. And these guys rub off on guys and it's key to have these guys in the room mm-hmm. that, that can still play. Yeah. Might be the, the cheapest 20 goal scorer in NHL history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We yeah. love Spezza. He's always a fan favorite. Yeah. Yep. I've, I've been having the free Spezza shirt on forever. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, even like Clifford, you guys brought him in two years ago for the playoffs and you played him like five minutes. You didn't play him. And that's where he comes to play. You guys are like, ah, I need some grit. Well, let's play him five minutes against the other <laughs> line. It's like, mm-hmm. you're go, oh, get the other fourth line. 
put him against the top line, scare the shit out of them, get him into the game. Totally. And Keith just, you know, it just like, it's crazy redundancy of, of the same players, the same sex that just doesn't change. So that's why I'm hoping he changes this year a little bit in his lineup. We have a lot more depth this year too. That's for sure. So hopefully we use it. The hymen worries me a lot about you guys. Oh yeah. I, I, again, I like that. I know we are getting off track here because we're just spitballing, but uh, the thing with him that worries me is just his infectious energy. Uh, those are things that intangibles that not everyone can bring. You're hoping Robertson can bring it, but Robertson's not big enough and strong enough to get to the areas that Zach can, right? He's more of a, he'll still go to hard areas and he's a, he's an energy and he's a spitfire, but it, he just does it in different ways than Zach. So who's going to do it for you guys? Like, are you hoping? That's a big question. Right. I think Michael nope. Bunting, Michael might. Bunting, you know, you're taking a flyer. Like, again, I don't like, Richie. I don't like, yeah, Richie. I don't like the Hyman deal on the at back end, you know? Yeah. And I understand why they didn't do it, but you're right. Richie's got to come in and I like Richie, how he plays, especially mm-hmm. in Boston. He can play up and down the lineup. That's, that's what you're hoping is his, he rubs off on those guys. Yeah. I don't think Hyman did. Yeah, I think uh, Leafs Nation right now kind of holding their breath that Michael Bunting can be that Hyman, but it's not proven, right? How so old is he? He's, I think he's around our age, like 22, 23, if I had to guess. Yeah, so like, I mean, I didn't really even know who he was or where he played, and then everyone said he's going to replace Zach Hyman. So maybe yeah. it's like a Marchessault thing that he's just a guy who comes out of nowhere and he can do that. So I, I hope he can. Like, I cheer on every player. I just didn't know who he was or how old he was and yeah. where he played before. So he's, yeah. he's a bit older than that. He's actually, he's 26. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're hoping he's going to be Zach Hyman, then. Uh, Some big shoes to fill in the city. I mean, again, you're there. There's guys like Marchesol and these guys, they came on in 25, 26 because they, they really refined their game in the minors. Mm-hmm. So, and Pierre Parento back in the day. So maybe, maybe he could be that guy. I hope he can. That's what yeah. they need. Power of the, the hometown kid. Yep. Yeah, we'll have to see. I don't know. I don't want to get too excited after a hat trick in in the preseason, but you know, no, you're right. say. you never know. And he's probably gonna he's gonna get the chance and the opportunity. I'm I'm rooting for him for sure. Mm. It'll be cool to see. I root for all the players, though. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, let's see. Every kid who plays hockey uh, kind of dreams of playing for their hometown team. Like I know me and the boys are all from Toronto. So like playing for the Leafs would be uh, a dream come true. And you were lucky enough to do that both in the WHL playing for the Lethbridge Hurricanes and in the NHL for the Calgary Flames. What was it experience like playing in like an area and atmosphere that you knew? Yeah, I still playing in the WHL to me was almost bigger than playing in the NHL. Cause you know, back in the day I didn't, I couldn't afford to go to NHL games. There was no access, you know, there was like anytime you wanted to watch highlights. I don't know. You guys would never remember this, but for me to watch an NHL highlight at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, I would have to sit in front of my TV. The highlight would come on at, you know, at this top of the hour. And then I'd either have to wait for the other half hour to go by to get the next highlight. And then sometimes you go to the washroom and you'd miss the highlight. So then you'd have to wait another hour just to hopefully (laughs) see it. So I focused all my time on like really looking up to the WHL players and, and uh, playing in Lethbridge is huge. Todd McIsaac is why 10 is my favorite number. Uh, he's a player that I looked up to. He was a smaller player, gritty, played hard. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it was playing there. I still remember looking around and being like, wow, I'm playing 
in Lethbridge, you know, and the Lethbridge Hurricanes and my family's right here. It was a pretty crazy, uh, surreal moment, pretty incredible moment. And I wasn't supposed to make it either. I wasn't, I wasn't drafted. I got listed and I still made it as a 16 year old, but it was, uh, what, what an incredible moment. My first ever NHL game was in Calgary though, against the Calgary flames. And that was a moment where not so much like the warmups was super cool. I still remember skating around and seeing friends like they're like, Holy fuck. You're in the NHL. You know, I'm like, Oh, yeah, you know. sorry if I can't swear. Um, no, that's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. You can always blurp it out right <laughs> and uh and i was like going around and like basically just like giving my friends fist pumps but i remember leaning you know lining up against jerome againla my first shift and there's a picture on my wall of it and just being like holy hell that's jerome againla like <laughs> i can't believe that that's jerome againla like this guy in 2004 when i was a 16 year old 17 year old was god right he brought calgary to the finals 50 goal years every year. Like he was the guy when I was a teenager, like God, Southern Alberta, everything was Iggy. Right. Oh, yeah. So my first ever shift next to him, Robert Lang's my centerman Conroy, I believe was on the other side. And I was just like super crazy moment of more just like, this is not even real life. And then my first ever playoff game ended up being in Calgary and obviously playing my last ever season in Calgary. My last two was, I wanted to be close to my family. My grandparents were getting older and I wanted them to be able to drive up and see their grandkids. And that whole experience was just unbelievable. It sucked because my hip was basically completely screwed that first year uh, playing. And then I opted not to get surgery and try to do some other things between the season. And then I went into training camp and got hurt. And then we we're in Dallas and I turned on it and I just, my hip was completely donezo that second year but so it sucked that it ended like that but again the whole experience of just grandma and grandpa being at games my dad my mom family it was uh really an incredible incredible experience so going back into your career and your play style we we always thought you played a gritty feisty quick game and uh was that always the type of game you wanted to play or was it something you uh found as you made it to the professional level that you were going to continue it? Yeah, I thought I played even more gritty the first half of my career. I, I was also 10 to 15 pounds heavier the first half of my career. But then when I had, I had two hip surgery, I mean, that was at the end, but I had, at the time I had two groin surgeries. I had ACL, um, I had uh, hip surgery all within four years, right? Mm -hmm. And so basically from 2013 on, I couldn't put on the extra 10 to 15 pounds. So my game kind of shifted from more like gritty getting in there, um, you know, still with skill could work a half wall or down low to basically being more of a power play guy. The second half of my career, it was just, I was kind of a shell of myself, right. In the sense of, I didn't have the same strength, the same speed because I just couldn't train the same way because my body wouldn't let me. So, but looking back uh, my biggest thing, I think, was just the tenacity to get the puck back again. I, I couldn't ever do it like that, super hosa. Um, but I loved, you know, stripping guys and making plays in tight areas, basically areas where some guys couldn't. I thought I thrived in those situations and especially in big moments. I thought that's why I could always come to play in some of the biggest games is because those tight areas, the areas where you need to make quick plays and, and you know, high risk plays at times, I could make them and that's something I definitely, I, I thrived on. And again, back to tenacity, 
in my day, and again, especially in the 90s era for those NHL guys, but in, you know, the early 2000s, mid 2000s, if you were small, you got abused, right? You got abused. And that's just the, the easiest thing to say. Like guys would try to kill you if you were a smaller guy on the ice. And I'm only 5'10", right? So that's why I have so much respect for guys like Nathan Gerby. Because when I used to see Nathan Gerby, he's a close friend of mine, but I, I wanted to kill him, right? <laughs> like there's a smaller guy than me, I'm killing him, you know? I'm getting him. And it was just... So we had so much abuse against us as players, especially in that era where you could hit to the head, you could slash, you could do a lot of dirty shit. So if we didn't have that bite or that intensity, we got phased out of the game fast, the smaller player. So I needed that intensity just to survive and that tenacity. And again, I wasn't going to go out and fight guys all the time. I would drop them when I'd have to, but for the most part, that's what the small guy needed, especially in that era. The small guys now, like, you know, Hughes, he's only 5'9", 160. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter how big you are now. You can thrive on your skating and your puck possession and your playing. Yeah. Um, you still need tenacity, but not to the same extent. Yeah, sometimes finesse can make up for it in other areas. Yeah. I've always appreciated the small guys, too. I'm not the biggest guy myself, and I used to play hockey, so I always got killed. Oh, yeah, so guys was... to kill you when he's like, again, I, when I would see a smaller guy in me, I'm like, I'm getting him finally, finally. <laughs> I know, I, I, there weren't too many guys smaller than me, but when I when I finally found some, yeah, I was like, I thought the same thing. Yeah. but yeah. And then it's like, then the problem is, is generally those small guys are built like a brick shithouse. So you run into him and then you're like, oh, maybe I can't get him. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, uh, back in my house league days, there was no hitting. So I was good. Yeah. No, you. No, nah, not me. There was hitting in mine. <laughs> So you announced your retirement from the NHL fairly recently, and we've already seen you get involved with broadcasting as you were part of the Sportsnet's NHL playoff coverage. Was broadcasting always something you thought about as a post-retirement plan, or was that just a new opportunity that presented itself? Yeah, no, it was just at the end of my NHL career, Ryan Leslie reached out and asked if it was something I wanted to try in the downtime of me not doing anything. So uh, I, I went to Calgary and did two or three games and I ended up kind of like just being at the rink, being around guys uh, again and, and talking hockey. It is crazy how much hockey you actually have to watch to know the fine details of everything. So I, I do have a, a newfound respect for all the broadcasters and analysts of actually how much work and detail goes into it, especially you guys, you guys run a podcast. It's crazy. You, you have to watch every game, right? If you miss a slash, or if you miss a play in the game and you yeah. get questioned about it and you can't answer it and they're like, well, this, this guy wasn't watching. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you got to watch the details. I didn't, you know, I, I realized, and I have a lot of respect for all of them, especially more now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that I like to do. It's something that keeps me busy. Um, but kind of since then I've, I've moved into more of a role of running my own company and I've been loving that as well, because it's more about giving back to the youth market, especially, you know, the youth sport market and youth hockey market. So I kind of have a, a real love and passion for that and broadcasting as well, but we'll, we'll kind of see where uh, that takes me, the broadcasting piece. For sure. I mean, uh, we also spoke to uh Stajan. He's been uh, involved in some flames TV stuff uh, out in Calgary as well. So I mean, uh, good for you. It's, uh, you know, it's something to keep busy, have fun with, right? Just talk about hockey. I mean, for every hockey fan, that's a dream, right? Getting paid to talk about hockey. So, yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. It's great. So uh, sticking on the post-retirement stuff uh, in, in our connection and how we got you on here, you appeared on Battle of the Blades, 
what was that experience like? And I have to ask, just because I don't know out of experience, how different is it uh, to skate in figure skates versus hockey skates? Yeah, that was a that was a great experience. I, I didn't really know what to expect going in, but you know, just to be competitive again and stay in shape and um, be in that kind of environment, it was a lot of fun. It's obviously a sport that if I had, if I was in a judge sport, I'm pretty sure I would have jumped the boards and attacked a judge, um, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how they don't do it. It would drive me nuts being in a judge sport um, without that kind of, you know, you're like, man, I'm pretty sure I was better. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's a sport where you need to be mentally strong. And I have a, such a respect for those athletes, especially on their edges. Like they're such better skaters than us on their edges. It's not even me. We're, we're obviously more explosive and we can do certain things, but just for like the control of the edge, um, watching them every day, all of them, it was a really cool experience. And actually the guy who uh, was my coach, he's coaching my kids now. Uh, oh, there you go. Some edge control and edge work with them. Cause I felt like it was such like uh, a needed thing for them that I ended up hiring him for that. So it's pretty cool. And I, and I had a lot of good relationships from it, but overall the experience um was great and it was fun being on with Bickle again and trash talking Brian all the time so it was uh, it was a lot of fun I'm sure uh when and you're I, on I beat him and I beat him there you go that's always fun yeah yeah anytime uh, you beat Brian it's great when you're on the show you competed for and maybe you can help me with the pronounce pronunciation is it Opoka Asin Opokasin. Opokasin. Okay. So Opokasin Early Intervention Society, which is a, uh, a child and family organization designed to provide support services to Indigenous children and families in Southern Alberta. And, you know, we kind of thought with everything going on nowadays in Canada, just recently having um, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. It's a great time to kind of talk to you about it. Uh, what can you tell us about the organization? What did it mean to you? Uh, and uh, you know what it means to be able to to raise money and awareness for an organization like that yeah I I've grown up two of my best friends are indigenous right and I've kind of seen um, what they've gone through and they've talked to me about what they and their family have gone through uh, throughout the history of basically Canada but especially in the 90s and the 80s about what their father went through so um I remember when they were talking to me about what organization I wanted to represent, I talked to Colton Yellowhorn and he looked up a couple organizations in Southern Alberta and Opal Cawson does a really good job in early intervention and helping families um, in the indigenous uh, area. And, and that to me seemed like the right foundation to help. And, and that's what we did. And we ended up raising 15,000 for Opal Cawson and it's been great, but yeah, with the, with everything going on, you know, it's great that everyone supports it, uh, especially on orange shirt day, but there's other things you can do, right? You can really uh, understand it more and look into these things more and, and donate, you know, if you have money, like donate, like um, they're, they're such great, you know, my friends are such great people and they have such great history and, and I love them all. And I was just really happy that I could help donate back to, uh, to their, to a charity that's really close to a lot of them. For sure. And I know it, it sounds cliche, but every penny counts, right? Even even a little a little donation goes a long way, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so you've you've mentioned it a few times, but we also wanted to ask you about it in retirement. Uh you've uh you started this new company called Clever. Did I get that? Yeah, you got yeah. it right. Great Clever, job. clever with a K. I see you there. Um 
It, very clever. Can you tell us a bit about it and uh, how it came to be? Yeah. So in 2020, 2020, right after I retired, um, my buddy and my brother were going to do coach consulting and some parents were always asking like, you know, what, you know, can you look at our kids clips? I'm like, yeah, send me your kid, you know, one or two clips. I can annotate over the clip and send it back. There's really no software that allowed me to efficiently do that really fast. And there was also no software that allowed those parents to efficiently capture that clip they wanted. So me and my partners got together and we started to be like, let's just build our own app, right? Instead of using someone else's app, that's time consuming and it's too hard to use and I'll never use it. Let's just build our own. So in October, 2020, after we'd done a ton of research and really hammering out what we wanted our idea to be, we started building our platform. And there's an essential piece to our app and it's actually called the clip button. And if you're filming for five minutes on a regular phone and you're waiting for your kid to score, uh, if he scores at the five minute mark, you've saved five minutes of film, even though the goal is at the five minute mark, you don't need four minutes and 50 seconds of that film, right? right. You only need 10 seconds, five seconds. So us, you're filming for five minutes, say, and after your kid scores a goal, you just tap this button. It'll go back three seconds up to a minute, whatever you decide to scrub to and get rid of everything else. So now like me, I'll be at my games and other parents, you hold the phone up the whole game. You can take the clips, all the goals, the assists, the plays. And instead of having, you know, um, an hour of film, you only have 12 to 15, 20, 30 seconds of film. And it's all the essential pieces that you want. And then within the app, we built an area where you can actually write on it and voice over and all that, and then send it anywhere. So it's a cool little app that uh, it's built for the youth market and it's free, right? And that's what we wanted. We wanted to give back. We also wanted to give coaches, especially in the youth market tools now that the pros have, obviously right. the pros have tools that they pay a crap ton of money for. <laughs> This is real easy to use and we built it so a parent can use it because most parents in the market are the coaches and they don't have the time to use these other clunky platforms. So this is what we built. And uh, in a few days or probably in a month, we'll have a more uh, a real launch where we, you know, we have our, U, we have a UX and UI company we partnered with that's giving it a facelift and we'll have a big launch in about a month. And probably in 10 days, we're going to just get it on the app store just so more people can start using it. But at the moment, we have about 200 coaches using it, another 200 parents and athletes. And um, they've all been kind of our testers for us. And it's been a it's been a crazy experience, but it's been a lot of fun. And I'm just excited for the this type of market who's never been served to have this piece of tech now, especially for free. Right. For sure. I'm uh, I'm sure back when I was lighting up a uh, house leak as I'm uh, no one can credit for. I'm sure my dad on his Blackberry would have loved that. Well, that's the other thing. Like, so our, our target market is we call it the B coach and the B coach is a through triple a, um, you know, uh, anywhere from five to 17 year olds, but you, you sit in kind of like the C coach market and the C coach is house league. You can still use this platform because a C coach can now use this app so easily to take the clip and they can draw on it just to show a kid in house league. And if they don't actually want to teach with the app, well, then you got the kid in house league's goal and then they can send it to their family, right? So this app is for everyone, right? It doesn't matter if you're in the house league market or if you're in the A or AAA, it can be used by everyone. And it's just really how you, how you want to use our platform. It's up to you. Totally. So going a little bit back into hockey, uh, we talked about the shutout style of hockey that you played and we've seen some players adapt a similar style around the NHL. Like we said, Hyman, Connor Brown, 
and maybe even bunting, hopefully. Uh, but we just wanted to ask what makes this style so successful in the NHL? Well, again, it just comes back to the tenacity and the determination to go to areas that your superstars can't always go to. And your, your superstars can't go there all the time because if they go there for 82 games, they're not going to be able to stand up by the end of the season. <laughs> That's why I've always advocated for protecting the superstars. Everyone's always like, well, everyone should be protected. Well, yeah, no shit. Everyone <laughs> should be protected. But the thing is, is when you're in the room, you're not sitting there saying, hey, everyone, check Michael Bunting tonight or go after, you know, like someone on the fourth line. You're like, take Matthews and drive him through the boards on him all night, cross checks, get in his face, everything. So the amount of abuse these guys take, you know, if you say if you get cross checked one time more per game than Michael Bunting and you're, you're Austin Matthews, then over a season, you've been cross checked 82 times more than Michael Bunting. Okay. But if you actually go back and look back, how many times Austin Matthews is cross-checked in one game, say it's five, right? Now you go when Michael Button gets cross-checked once, well, now he's been cross-checked five times, 82. I don't know that. I ain't no math major. Yeah. But that, that's how much it adds up over time, right? Start to think about that. That's a compounding mm -hmm. effect. That's why they need to protect the superstars. We're only seeing 70% of what Austin Matthews can do. 70% of what Connor McDavid can do. And again, they're taking cross-checking out. They are starting to again this year. It's a good step. That's a good rule. They need to take more of the interference out, more of that garbage play without the puck, the stuff that Babcock put in and it slows the game <laughs> down. It's horrible to watch <laughs> hockey. But this is the stuff they need to take out and it'll make the game even better and it'll make the superstars better. It'll prolong their careers. It'll keep them healthier. And that's what we want. I love passion. I love battling. I love all that. That doesn't take this out. You know, that doesn't take it out. You can still battle. You can still have passion, but take out the dirtbag plays that's going to ruin someone's career, right? And it's going to shorten their window and it's not going to give the fans the experience they deserve, right? So back to Michael Bunting and all these guys, their play is infectious because not everyone can do it all night, every night. And that's why you see the injuries add up for Zach Hyman, right? Mm -hmm. But they do it because they got a motor that can't get turned off. Right. And that's why Andrew Shaw, his career's, you know, it was short. He had an incredible career in a short spurt because he doesn't have an off switch. Right. He goes a hundred miles an hour, a hundred percent of the time. And they're insanely effective players, but within this current kind of climate we have where, you know, the abuse factor adds up, it's going to shorten their career. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's they're 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 players that they, they, they can't turn it off. That's just is what it is. And they're extremely effective when they're at a hundred percent. If McDavid's only at 70%, he can get to a hundred. I'm going to have a great fantasy year. <laughs> I'm telling you. Imagine like, sure. think about, just look out throughout the game. How many times he goes wide on a D and they just slash his hands, you know, even if it's just, oh, a yeah. tap. Mm -hmm. or just taking it to the net, Austin Matthews and they tap his stick or they slash and they're like, well, I just tapped it. Well, yeah, it threw him off though. And the guy didn't have position. Okay. How many times has LeBron James taken it to the hole and a guy taps his arm when he's about to dunk it. And then he goes to the line for a three throw. I know we're not basketball and I'm not saying, but if LeBron James is given more God given talent than you, and he can dangle you on the line and take it to the hole. And all you can do is tap him from behind or hold him down to get to the hole. Well then why, why, is, why isn't hockey treated the same way? If Connor McDavid has the most talent we've ever seen out of any hockey player ever put on this earth and he can get around you and he can, but the only way for you to stop him is 
underwrite the rule book, just like Austin Matthews, people are underwriting the rule book in order to stop them. Mm -hmm. Like then we're not fully seeing what they can do because we're allowing the rule book to be under root every time, yeah. under root every time. And that's, I'm still going to advocate for it as long as uh, people put a mic in my mouth, but who knows? Well, that's you're welcome. Point. You're welcome here anytime. <laughs> it's a fantastic point. So yeah. uh, unless, so unless we've been uh, going back to the next question, uh, unless any Leaf fan or any hockey fan has been living under a rock, everyone knows what happened to the Leafs this past season. I hate how they gave me this question. I hate talking <laughs> oh, about this. Uh, you know, the, the, the playoff loss to Montreal and, and not just this year, but every other year before that. And then losing uh, Frederick Anderson, Zach Hyman to free agency, as we said before. Uh, what do you think this season has in store for the Leafs? Oh man, I've been, I see this as a combination of different things. You know, I, sometimes I'm like, yeah, they'll still be good because their, their elite talent is just so elite. Um, for me though, it's only going to go as far as Mitch Marner takes them truly. And the reason I say that is Mitch was, if Mitch played, you know, he, he played save hundred percent great or 10 out of 10 is great. He played a five out of 10 in the playoffs against Montreal. Yeah. If he played a six out of 10, they beat Montreal, right? If, if they mm -hmm. beat us, he plays a six out of 10, they beat Montreal. I, I truly believe the thing with Mitch, which I said last year is he needs to watch Patrick Kane video of playoffs, right? And it's not about just going to the perimeter to get the puck all the time in the playoffs. You're going to have to do certain things at certain times in certain areas of the game uh, in those games in order to help your team win and to do that so i was like he could go to all the skills coaches right now um his skills are he's one of the top skilled players in the world but what i want them to do with mitch is throughout the year start building into his game plays that in the playoffs will work so again maybe he gets you know in a regular year he gets 95 points 100 points i don't know 90 points but maybe this year he only gets 85 points because you're starting to condition him and get him ready for the playoffs um, there's numerous plays I could think of throughout that Montreal series where I'm like, you know, just cut under this pressure without the puck, go to the top of the uh, top of the screen, you know, or top of the net to screen, just little things like that. You don't have to do it all the time, but just start to find your way into these areas. And that's where I said he should get with a third party independent coach, someone who will try to help him throughout the year, get to these areas more and get him more ready for the playoffs. Uh, he doesn't need another skills coach. He's most talented guy on earth so that's the biggest thing is this team will go as far as mitch carries him because mitch is the driver for austin right totally austin will score goals but austin can score way more goals if mitch is going right big time and, and that's the thing for me is everyone loves the goal scorer but the driver at the end of the day is the guy who's getting the goal score of the puck and mitch is the most talented player on the ice and that's why he needs to do certain things in order to get this team over the hump. And he can do it. I believe, I believe he can do it. Like I would have never advocated for getting rid of him or trade him. I, I love how he plays. I just, I think the band, maybe you talk about, we talked about the word tenacity. That's one extra thing he can get a little bit better at uh, throughout the year that can add into his playoff game. And I hope he can, because it's going as far as he takes them. For sure. Yeah, for and sure. Uh, whoever that prospective third-party coach is, maybe they can use clever to help him out also. Hey, 
I'm not even kidding. You could easily admit <laughs> right now. I'll do it for free for him. There you, you go. Know? So <laughs> Mitch Marner, if you're listening, you got yourself yeah. a coach. He can take a clip of the screen, send it to me through Clever. I'll annotate over the clip and send it back free of charge for Mitch. It's very kind of you. Um, you know, kind of what you're mentioning there, the three of us, Leafs Nation, I mean, for this season, it's, I think we all at least assume pending a major collapse, they're a playoff team. It's just at this point, what they do in the playoffs that counts. So we'll, uh, it, you know, if Marner's dropping off in point totals to get us past the first round, I don't think anyone's batting an eye. Look at Patrick Kane when he won the Stanley Cup all three times. He wasn't at 100, 110, 120 point pace. He did have more depth in his team and he was relied on um, less to score because, I mean, in 2010, you had, you know, six or seven 20 goal scorers. And in 2015, much the same, you know, but what he did is he, he found ways within the game to contribute when he couldn't contribute offensively. Right. And I guess that might be a bit of a bad comparison, but that's what I think about. I think about those seasons where he was doing things that weren't of just his nature uh, in order to help the team win. For sure. For sure. Nice. Any more, any more great questions about that, that you're scared to ask? <laughs> <laughs> no, I always, I, Patrick Kane's my favorite player. So like, if you like going back to, watching all this highlights, like I've seen everything. So I understand why you're telling Marner to look at Kane. Cause he's like the prime example of what you want to achieve in the playoffs. And he's done it three times. So he must he's be doing most, something right. He's the most, even the years they've lost and everything. Um, and one, he's the most clutch player of all time, Patrick. Kane. Mm -hmm. There's nobody like it. Nobody I've ever seen in my life gets better when the game gets tighter. I've never seen it never in my life like he creates more chances to score when the game gets tighter and when everyone starts to you know grab the stick tighter and tighter um that's just patrick kane man he's the clutchest player and i have no doubt in my mind saying that of all time yeah as much i don't want to make you feel not special but it is a patrick kane shirt that i got on oh great yeah <laughs> i have i have one in my room but i just didn't want to wear it <laughs> if it wasn't patrick kane i'd be I'd be, if it was mine, I'd actually probably be angry, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point, I guess, but Patrick yeah. Kane's Patrick Kane. Well, that's what I called my first ring. Pat, no, I called my first one Jonathan Taze, and I called my second one Patrick Kane. That's pretty funny. Nice. <laughs> I, I, give them, I give them a big hug and kiss every day and thank them for everything. You know? <laughs> yeah. Mine, uh, Ryan, are we going to do the... Uh, the fun segment that we have. Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, Chris, just to finish us off, uh, we wanted to give you some lightning round questions. So, yep. talk about some uh, NHL stuff here. No right answers, probably a couple wrong answers, but uh, first answer that pops to mind, we got a few of them for you. So, we'll just fire them off. So, uh, who will be the president's trophy winner this season? Colorado. All right. Who will lead the NHL in goals? Connor McDavid. That's it's not. It's I know it's not the first choice. I just feel like he's got to get. You know, Sid Sid had one. I feel like he's got to get one. Mm -hmm. Do you do you think the Blackhawks will have a bounce back season this year and make the playoffs? I do think they'll bounce back. They're going to be in tough for that fourth position, but I I think they can make the playoffs. Yep. And uh, who is your Stanley Cup pick for this season? Colorado. 
All right. If you could join a current NHL team and play for them this season, which team would it be? Who needs a guy who can throw some serious ragu on the power play? <laughs> I mean, I could look at a few teams that need some power play help. Um, the Leafs. The Leafs, yeah, honestly. I could go play for the Leafs right now. Just get me uh, get me some skates and a stick, and I'll get out there. Uh, who could? I don't know. Who whose power play hasn't been good? Um, my default answer is Buffalo. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know if don't you want to go there. No, <laughs> no, that wouldn't be worth coming out of retirement going to Buffalo right now. I mean, I think uh... unless I get to play with Eichel. If I get to play with Eichel, I'll come out of retirement. There you go. I think a power play that that has the potential that isn't there yet is maybe the Florida power play. I know they've had some stints, but they have the skill. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You could throw me in the middle or on a flank, and Q knows he can yell at me all day. So like, there you go. It's a perfect probably fit. Makes a lot of sense to put me there. So, totally. Yeah, Florida. Let me know. I'll get back in shape. All right. So that well, first we'll call Marner about the coaching. Now we'll talk to, yeah. to Coach Q over in Florida. Uh, you think the Maple Leafs will make it out of the first round this year? No. Oh, <laughs> Chris, you were doing so well up until this point. I know. And I've, I've honestly racked my brain on this. I just don't think they're better this year. Yeah. Last on paper, at least last year, seems like a pretty as good as you're going to get for them. I know. I, you know what? Again, I go back to Mitch. If I'm just hoping the depth helps. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I, I don't know. I don't think so. I just, I go back to Mitch, but I don't really blame Mitch. I blame Keith, Keith, Keith. Yeah. Keith. Yeah. Um, I blame him because there was numerous times last year where he could have put Marner on the second line, but he ended up putting Marner, Nylander, yep. Matthews together. Yeah. And I'm like, that's exactly what we said. We've I was like, what, that. Oh, yeah. what are you doing? Like you're putting three <laughs> guys who play almost the same together. And I'm like, put Marner on the second unit or on the second line, even the third, let him get away from the Weber matchup and the Sherratt matchup because they were laying lumber. It was dirty, like a lot of dirty plays, but regardless, get him away from that matchup, get him a little pissed off, right? Hey, I'm not on the top line anymore. I need to play better. And then insert him back on the top line when he gets going. That's things that Q would actually do with Kane. If Kane was playing like shit, he would take him off the first line and put him down Kane would get back going again, get a little bit of energy and, you know, a little fire in the belly and he'd go back out top line, whatever. So I don't know if I trust Keith's coaching to get them past the first round. If he can make the hard calls at the hard times, because that's yeah. what all the coaches do. John Cooper, again, why were they always matching Deno against Matthews too? Everyone's like, Oh, Deno's got zero goals. Well, guess what? Deneau has zero goals. He doesn't give a shit about scoring. Every time Deneau gets the puck out, Pat. Oh. Oh, we lose you there, Chris? Maybe. He was on a good point, though. Yeah. On a very good point. Oh, I was going to say that in past episodes of talking about how Keith uh, didn't change up the lineups, especially in the playoffs against Montreal, and then you know, you look at what happened and like the sh- big guys getting shut down. And that's kind of how it went. So yeah. 100%. What's I think that's, uh, there you go. Yeah. Do you want me to keep, sorry, I'm on my phone now. That's I'm okay. Yeah. Phone. Keep going. Yeah. So every time Deneau 
they were like going head to head with Matthews. And he's like, oh, don't worry. Matthews can take it on. Well, why though? You don't have to do it. Especially when you're at home, you don't have to. Deneau, every time Deneau gets the puck past the blue line, that's basically like Deneau scoring a goal. He doesn't care if he gets it in the net in Toronto. All he cares about is shutting down Matthews and going head-to-head with him in that matchup. And then they did it in the next round when Montreal won again. And then they did it again. But when they got to the smartest coach in the playoffs, John Cooper, he didn't put Kucherov out against Deneau. He put the third line out. He put Yanni Gord and these other guys out against Deneau because Deneau was then now playing against their checking line. It's just little matchups and little things like that. It's like, why are you doing it? Yeah, okay, maybe he can. Maybe you do got to trust your top guys that when they do get that matchup, they got to outplay them. But at the end of the day, it's about giving them the best matchup. It's it's not about, oh, our best guys got to take this matchup. It pissed me off. The, hor- the horrible line matching. Uh, like every time he came out, Deneau came out they should have had their third line ready to go you know the her foot line just to take that little pressure off Matthews get Matthews out against Suzuki get Matthews out against uh I can't remember the third line right now I'm going blank but get them other matchups that free up the offense for him but Keefe wasn't doing it and Keefe wasn't making the hard decisions at the hard time so that's that's my biggest worry is Keefe and then getting Marner to that level those two are the are the key yeah. So just the last two questions here. Uh, who do you think is the best defenseman in the NHL right now? Oh, well, it's, it's Victor Hedman to me. It's not even to like last year, him not winning the winning um, the Norris was crazy to me. Like he is the best defenseman in the game. He controls the pace of the game. He can play offense. He can play defense. Fox can play offense and he's good. He cannot defend, and he doesn't have the presence on the game like Hedman does yet. Fox may get there, maybe not to the same extent because Hedman's six six and Fox is five eleven, maybe you know. Yeah. But Hedman just he's he's the best in the game now. Kale McCarr to me is up there. He's just he's shiftier. He's a little bit bigger than Fox. He's a better skater than Fox. He's more dynamic offensively. I still think than Fox Kale McCarr is. So. I, I have Fox kind of in that four or five hole. Again, he had a great year of offense, especially that got him the Norris. But to me, there's just no one who can dictate the pace of the game and do everything all over the ice that Victor Hedman can, especially at that size. Like, it's just crazy. Agreed. And uh, last question, will the Seattle Kraken make the playoffs? No, they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Let's talk about about besides their team being terrible this year. Let's talk about like you have they have a nice jersey. Very nice. Yeah. So you're telling me they couldn't get a better, you know, they paid seven hundred million dollars for a hockey club and they couldn't put like a design on the pants at least or the (laughs) gloves. They just use a dark blue pant and a dark blue glove. Like like who designed that? Like those jerseys are great. (laughs) give their pants something like put like that, that nice blue they got down the side of the pant or give the, they maybe give some tentacles some, somewhere, something tentacles. Cool. I've been saying that. Yeah. Like tentacles down the side or something like lightning do the, the bolt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it doesn't have to be something that like, you know, kids have on their hockey equipment. Like it doesn't need to be like crazy, but 
give something unique and different. Like you're a team that's coming into the league. You spent all this money. You got dark blue pants. Horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get some design work over there. I can't cheer for them because their pants and their gloves, you know, but their jerseys are nice. So they have a nice jersey. Very nice. I saw, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there'll be a playoff team either. I saw a lot of people not going after them, but just along the lines of, it seems like they didn't go for best player available, but went for like youngest player available with upside. So maybe, you know, not, not the same Vegas approach, but just going for the young guys there. Yeah. And then I think they got a lot of those big D men because they seen how big D men were utilized in the playoffs and they think that they will be pretty valuable trade pieces come playoff time. Yeah. I think uh, if, and when they're not in the playoff spot, Giordano's first one gone. Yeah, Giordano. Did they? Is it McDermott? Is he still there? Or is he gone? There's a few of them. It's McDermott. Ben Giordano, Dunn. I think they keep Dunn, but those other guys, those bigger guys down in the lineup. Yeah, I think a lot of those guys will be gone. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's it, uh, Vegas kind of took the league by storm, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see, knowing what everyone knows now about an expansion team, how that impacts Seattle. Yeah, pressure's on. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, yeah, I, I think it is on it. I mean, they could go with a little bit different of an approach, hoping their second overall pick pans out and, you know, maybe acquiring some other top 10 picks over the next year or two. And then hopefully over the next decade, they then have that team. That might be the goal they're going for. It kind of looks like, which I don't mind that approach either. It's just that the thing that pisses me off is their pants and gloves. <laughs> on. They could have had the best talent in the world, but the pants need some work. Yeah, like I would have said that regardless. Their pants are terrible. There you go. All right, Chris, uh, thank you again for coming on. We do really appreciate it. Uh, also wanted to thank Natalie, uh, a mutual friend of ours, for setting this up. Uh, it meant a lot yeah. to, for, the, for the three of us, for sure. It meant a lot to have you on. So thank you again. We really appreciate it. For yeah. sure. Say hi to Nat, and thanks again for having me, guys. I yeah, will. Thank you. Thanks to everyone listening. Make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever podcast streaming platform you're listening to. Check us out on Instagram. And uh, Chris, before you go, if you're ever uh, looking to for someone to put a microphone in front of your mouth, you always have a place here. So you're always welcome. Oh, that's great. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. That's it for us. We'll see you next week.